Micah chapter 5, page 778, and this is the word of God. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortune. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Amen. And we thank God today for his precious work. If you have been paying attention this week, you will know that the Conservatives are starting their race to elect the new guy. Uh, everybody seems to be against Boris Johnston. They're all out to, to make him look stupid. And it seems that Boris Johnston is out to make himself look stupid as well. But they're all racing to get to be the brand new Prime Minister. And by the time Helen and the gang are walking the mean streets of Cushanto, back here in Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, we will have a Gove, a Gaima, a Hancock, a Harper, perhaps a Hunt, a Javid, a Johnson, a Ledsom, or a McVeigh, Rab, or Stuart. There's not too many in for it. Sure there's not. But one of those 11 will be the new chief. One of those 11 will be the new leader. One of those 11 who even now is saying... If you elect me, then everything's going to change. But friends, we know by now, we're all long enough in the tooth. We've been round the block a couple of times. We know that politicians come and go, and rarely does lasting significant change come. 
So whoever takes the big job, ultimately they will go the way of everyone else who's ever had the big job. And as we started this service, we remind ourselves from the Psalms that they will return one day to the dust and then all their plans will disappear. That's not a very hopeful message, sure it's not, for our country in the next couple of weeks and months, but I think it ties into the hope that we have in Micah chapter 5. All the way through this series, I've been trying to stress how Micah is an incredibly encouraging book. At times you might read it and wonder where the encouragement comes from. You might be scratching your head or your beard this morning and waiting somehow in this book to see something other than doom and gloom. And we see it here in chapter 5. In the very first verse, we see, well, not actually encouragement. That comes in a minute. In the very first verse, we're told, the people of Judah at this time, we're told, muster your troops, O daughter of troops, Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So it's more bad news for these men and women. And it's not just bad news, it's, it's utter humiliation and utter destitution. You see, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they have all had their say in Israel and Judah in these days. And soon the land will be torn apart once more and soon bad news will follow more bad news and here we read about the judge of Israel or in other words the, the top dog, the prime minister of Israel being struck on the cheek. How would you have reacted this week if you were watching Mr. Trump and he marched in the, up the Downing Street and Theresa May came out to give him a big hug and kiss and he slapped her in the face? That would be news, wouldn't it? That would be a national humiliation. Even if you hadn't any regard or thought for Theresa May, probably you would take her side in that one. Well, you can imagine what's going on here in Judah. The Lord says in his word, muster your troops. But in a way, it's for nothing because the enemy will come and with a rod they will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Humiliation and destitution. But then there is a word that comes which changes everything. As I preach through this passage, I feel like we should have a big, gorgeous Christmas tree sitting over here. It feels like we should be getting ready to host our mother-in-law for two weeks over Christmas. Because what comes next is that famous Christmas passage, but it has relevance throughout every single day of the year, and it speaks of Jesus. It says in verse 1, the enemy will come and he will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek, humiliation and destitution, but verse 2, but you, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And it is these verses that we sing about at Christmas. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy, and I'll not get into it, but that's what we sing, isn't it? little town of Bethlehem. Here's the bad news, says the Lord. The ruler of our enemies will come and strike the judge of Israel on the cheek, but a king will come for me, says the Lord, from little insignificant Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrathah, which was the district that Bethlehem found itself in. A place that, as the word says, was too little to be among the clans of Judah. 
And today, if you go home and read Joshua 15, you will read all the, the names of the cities that are included in Judah. Bethlehem's not there. It's insignificant. It's not worth very much. And it'd be like laying out all the names of the towns and villages of Northern Ireland and, and finding that Balna Hinch isn't in the top 100. You'd be disgusted, wouldn't you? Balna Hinch is 137th. And there's only 121 towns and villages in Northern Ireland. You'd be raging. Even Drummond is higher than us. Saintfield is in the top 20. Hillsborough, number three. But where's Balna Hinch? It's nowhere. It's nowhere. It's a bit like that. The Lord says, out of this insignificant little place, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be even included in the big list of the clans of Judah in Joshua 15, out of this place, there's a leader coming. And by this stage, maybe the men and women of Judah are a little bit weary, a little bit tired. They've had leaders. They've had kings. They've had people with the boasts and the promises. They've had the individuals who were going to put everything right and ultimately fell flat on their face. Maybe at this stage, hearing this, the men and women of Judah are thinking, oh, here we go again. It's another list. It's Gove. It's Gamer. It's Hancock. It's Harper. It's all the rest of them. We're, we're sick of leaders. They're all the same. Not this leader. This leader who is coming forth for the Lord out of little Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the house of bread, the house of abundant bread, the leader who is coming from this place, well, his coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. There's no leadership contest here. There's no big debates or discussions. They're not getting on the ITV and having a rattle at each other and trying to do damage to one another, this leader, well, his coming was from ancient days. This coming was from eternity past. This passage is speaking about the Christ, the ruler who comes forward from little Bethlehem, comes forth for the Lord, and he is not just going to rule in Judah, but verse 2 says that he is going to be the ruler in Israel. This leader, this king, is coming to make absolutely everything different. You can imagine, can't you, being someone in these days with these great military powers all around you. And this prophet comes to say, do you know what? There's bad days coming. Do you know what? There's going to be a day where the judge of Israel will be struck on the cheek. There's days of humiliation coming and, and, and days of destitution coming. But, 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 before you go weeping to your house, before you hide under the bed and thinking all is lost, king is coming from Bethlehem for the Lord to rule over Israel from, from ancient days. A king is coming. And you know, there will be difficult days, says the prophet. In verse 3, he says, therefore he shall give them up. He shall give up the people of Judah until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Micah says to these men and women, he's not coming yet. Don't expect him to come and to, to chase out the Assyrians or to sort out the Babylonians. He's not coming yet. But he is coming. And there will come a time when there is someone in labor. There is a girl in labor, and when she has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Or in other words, says the prophet, when this child comes... When the Blessed Virgin has given birth, when all of this takes place, 
and all the Gentiles and all the Jews who come to trust in Christ will come together, the church of Jesus Christ, and Jesus will be there in verse 4, standing there and shepherding his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Friends, here is our King. That is why over the summer months we, we need not concern ourselves too much about who from that list of 11 is going to get the big job. That is why when, whenever we are tempted to despair over foreign dignitaries coming and, and getting lampooned like Donald Trump or we're tempted to despair because there's, there's nobody in the big house up at Stormont or we're tempted to despair because, well, we, we prefer Boris Johnson and not Michael Gove. We are part of the greatest body on this earth. That is the church of Jesus Christ. And our king is Jesus. He is the sole king and head of the church. He is the one whose coming was from ancient of days. And and he is the one who comes to gather and shepherd his flock from every part of this world, all coming through faith in him to be part of the church. And here is his manifesto. Here is his campaign promise. His people at the end of verse 4. Well, they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Security and peace is what Jesus brings. Security and peace to all those who, who have believed in him. Those words could be put up on a banner, couldn't they? Security and peace, say the DUP. Security and peace, say the Labour Party. Security and peace, says Donald Trump. Vote for me and I will give you security and peace. But Jesus doesn't come to build a wall. His concern is not over a heavy border, soft border, middle-sized border, any wee border around Drogheda just to keep Brogan where he should be. Jesus doesn't come about any borders doesn't recognize borders, cares nothing about borders. He doesn't come to to give us a big row of troops and tanks to keep us safe. But the security that the Lord gives us is an eternal security, a security where you and I know that through faith in Christ, then, then our destiny is absolutely rock solid secure. Those of us who are in Christ know that whatever comes our way, we are secure in his hand. Not forgotten, not forsaken, but secure. Our destiny in Jesus is glory and we are secure in our Savior. And friends, doesn't that thrill you? Whenever you you watch the debates and the arguments, whenever you hear someone saying, oh, if only with someone like Winston Churchill back, if only blessed Margaret Thatcher could return, If only then everything would be different, it would be wonderful. Folks, do not put your trust in princes and mortal men and women who cannot save. Instead, as we look onto Jesus, the King who has come and is coming again, you and I, through faith in Christ, we are eternally secure. There is nothing in this life nor the next that we need to fear or shrink from. Nothing today, tomorrow, or next week that we need to quake from. We are secure in the hands of Christ. And he comes with that security. And he comes with peace. 
peace upon the people of God, peace upon those who have trusted in Christ, peace with God. There's the peace that Jesus comes with, security and peace. And by way of his body and blood at Calvary, and by way of that empty tomb, Christ means and and, and brings peace to all those who will believe. He removes the enmity that we have with the Lord himself. He forgives us. We can stand in the presence of our holy, holy, holy God. And we have been declared righteous. No longer enemies of God, but children of God. By Christ's wounds, we have been healed. See, this is the difference between Jesus and all the other leaders of this world. I don't know if you saw a few years ago when President Trump started uh, touring the world and and meeting all the other world leaders. There's a a big gathering of all these guys, all these important bigwigs. And somehow President Trump had found himself at the back of the photo. He's the most important person in the world, isn't he? He shouldn't be at the back of the photo. So he pushes his way through. There's this great wee video of him pushing his way through. And there's the head man of Estonia or somewhere. And there's Trump out of my way, son. You know, and he gets down to the front. Because that's real leadership, isn't it? That's strength. That's power. That's what we're all looking for. I would vote for anybody that instead of shaking the hands of visiting dignitaries, hit them a big slap on the back. That's what we want, isn't it? Strength. Jesus comes as a servant. Jesus comes and we, we speak of the humiliation of Christ. He comes not to throw out the Romans, not to slap Pontius Pilate in the face, not to tear Caesar from the throne, but to lay down his life as that suffering servant, as a ransom for many. Here is strong leadership. Here is leadership from ancient days. Here is leadership that makes a difference. And here is leadership in which we can be utterly confident. I don't know if it will be Gove or Gaima or Hancock or Harper or Hunt or Javitt or Johnston or Ledson, McVeigh, Rob or Stewart. And hopefully soon at least about seven of them will drop out. It will make that list an awful lot easier. I don't know why a lot about any of them. But I hope that many of them know Christ. I hope that many of them love the Lord Jesus because ultimately that is all that matters. I've heard some of them speaking about how they will come and they will put party and country first. Because that's important. Party and country first. Jesus comes and puts himself last. Jesus comes and does not claim his rights or his privileges, but dies a sinner's death for people who did not deserve it. There's bad days coming, says the prophet to these men and women, but from out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the abundant, bountiful house of bread is coming a wonderful leader, and we know his name to be Jesus. Folks, Jesus comes and he changes everything. And the final verses of this chapter show us the change that he brings. In the second half of verse 5, we read that when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, 
Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. See, here is the difference that Jesus makes. Micah says, you know, when the enemy comes, when evil raises its head, whether it's from Assyria or from Nimrod, speaking about Babylon, these great powers of the day in Micah's time, Micah says when those difficult days come, in light of the coming Savior, in light of the coming shepherd and king, when those difficult days come, we will raise up seven shepherds and, and eight princes against them. And biblically speaking, when you read of the number seven, it is the perfect number. And so when we come to the book of Revelation, we speak of the sevenfold spirit. Or maybe when you go on your cruise this year and your holidays, you'll get home and say to your wee next door neighbor, Muriel, oh, Muriel, was sealed the seven seas. You didn't. You're on a wee dinghy in Loch Ness, all right? But you know what, you know what you're saying? We've been everywhere. We've been everywhere. Well, here we read. When Jesus comes, he will not protect us from the troubles of life. He's not going to stop all the enemies and all the dark days and all the problems. But when the enemy comes and tramples upon our palaces, we will have enough. We will have enough within the church to withstand. The Lord will come and he will die for his bride, the church, and the church in Jesus will be victorious. And so even in the darkest of days, seven shepherds will rise, eight princes even, or in other words, to quote the Lord Jesus himself, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. See, this is the reality. This is the reality. I don't know if you saw the recent show about Chernobyl. It's been making a a lot of headlines. It's a, I, I hesitate to say it's a, a wonderful show because it's utterly horrific what happened all those years ago, 1986, when the nuclear power plant blew up in Russia, in Ukraine. But there's a, a, a part of it where the soldiers are going around all the towns and villages uh, around the area to evacuate people. They come across this wee woman and she's milking a cow. They say to her, right, you, you have to get out. The bus is there. Let's go. He says, I'm not going anywhere. He says, you have to go, come on. The, the, the command is through, you have to leave. And she runs through history and she says, I remember when men came years ago and told me I had to leave. I'm still here and they're not. I remember when the Germans came and told me I had to leave. They're, they're gone and I'm still here. I remember, and, I, and she told this whole big yarn about how she'd seen generations coming and going and still she remained that she was going to sit there with her cow and she was going to stay out her days in that wee house. Folks, there's confidence there in that wee woman. But if that wee woman back then, even facing a, a nuclear disaster, had confidence, then think of the confidence that you and I can have through faith in Jesus. Part of the victorious church of Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning we don't look too victorious. Maybe this morning, no members of the Conservative Party are here to get our votes. There's not too many of us. We're an insignificant wee time. We're not in the top 100. But we can be absolutely confident in our King Jesus. That even if the Assyrians were to swamp our lands, even if Nimrod was at the gates, even if the devil himself was outside demanding that we relent and come out, 
Well, the gates of hell will not prevail against the victorious church of Jesus Christ. And you know, the church is not just a defensive body. It's not just that we, we put up our gates and, and close the, the walls up and, and say, we're safe inside. Because Jesus has come, well, the church moves forward. And the church is militant on this earth. See, when we read in verse 7, we, we speak of something called the remnant of Jacob. And that should teach us that the church is, is never going to be the majority. It never has been, it never will be. I, I always laugh when I hear people saying, oh, this is a Christian country. This is a Christian nation. There's, there's never been a Christian nation. Maybe there have been times that, that the, the nation has looked in favorable terms towards the word of God, but, but to say, oh, the, this nation's Christian, the church is always the remnant, the small number of the majority. But we read here in verse 7, the, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. Here is the church militant. Because Christ the King has come, because he is on the throne, the church moves forward and the church is like dew on the grass. Or in other words, it's, it's like a blessing. It's like a blessing upon the people. It's a blessing upon the towns and villages that the church exists. But not only is the church a blessing, the, the church is like a lion's roar. Micah goes on. In verse 8 we read, The remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations. In the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. And here is the difference that Jesus brings. Micah doesn't say a, a king is going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to come, and, and everyone's going to love him, and everyone's going to serve him. He says the king will come, there will be difficult days, but the remnant will stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, and the remnant will go on the front foot. And you might be in a church where there's only about six of you, but, but Jesus says you're part of my bride. And you might be in a church where you feel that you're, you're not very strong and you're not up to much, but Jesus says you are my bride. And there's Helen this morning telling us about the team and, and concerned about the travel and concerned about the language and, and wanting to make an impact. The church of Jesus Christ is the witness of Christ on this earth. And he has promised that his word does not return on to him void and he has promised that he will build his church. Friends, this year, whether we are planning to help at the Bible Club or we're going to Romania, or we're going to help over the summer in August, or whether we're going to Outer Mongolia, uh, whenever we are going, wherever, wherever we're doing, as we go in faith, as we stand for Christ, the church is a blessing to the people around us, and the church is like a lion's roar, afraid of nothing. Even when the days are dark, the church stands confident in its Savior, Jesus. See, Jesus will come, says Micah, and the church will be victorious. And the church will be militant. And finally, the church will be restored. The final verses of Micah 5 tell us about what the Lord is going to do for his people and to his people. He will remove from them all the confidence that they've placed elsewhere. The Lord says in verse 10, I, 
I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. You're, you're not going to be looking to them anymore for your security. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. You're not going to be looking to the walls of Derry anymore for your security. And I will restore you and renew you and sanctify you, verse 12. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you will have no more tellers of fortune. No more of this nonsense where we go and some idol looks at our palm and says, you're going to marry a tall, dark, handsome stranger. None of that. I will remove that from you. And I will remove from you, verse 11, all the carved images, all the pillars from among you, all the idols, all the Asherah images, verse 14. I remove them all. The king is coming, says Micah 5. And he is coming to gather a people for his own possession. And he is coming to change them and not leave them the way he found them. Friends, this is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. This is why today we have a hope. This is why today we do not quit, regardless of who is in 10 Downing Street or in the White House. This is our story, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ. With a secure, trustworthy, eternal King, and with a victorious, militant, and sanctified destiny, this is our story. And so, friends, in the days to come, do not quake, do not fear, do not worry, do not shudder when you hear the bad news, because through faith in Christ, you, my brothers and sisters, are on the right side of history. But let me close here with verse 15, because the Lord reminds us, doesn't he? As he speaks this word of encouragement to his bride, the church, he says, In anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. And you see, that's at the heart of the gospel. When we hear this good news about this king from Bethlehem, when we hear this extraordinary news about how he is gathering a people, and they will be victorious and militant and a blessing upon the earth and restored and sanctified when we hear this wonderful news. We must do something about it. We must obey the message of the Lord. And friends, let me say this to you. I am about to head off and get my summit on and land the deck chair. And there's a bit of a bitterness in me because the Gulf's going to annoy me this summer in Port Rush, and I hope it lashes down every day of the Gulf so all the tourists stay at home. You may not see me until August to shout at you once more. You'll be glad because it's 10 past 12 and you think, oh, we've had enough of you. But here's the thing. I don't know tomorrow and I don't know the next day and I don't know if I'll be back in August and I don't know if I'll see you again. So please hear this. Please hear this. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. They might be living, or they might be boys that once rode a white horse that get your attention every 12th of July, but all of them are frauds compared to Jesus. Obey him today. Trust in him. 
repent of your sin and come and join his bride, the church. There is a hope and his name is Jesus.